Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me, Fiona Abrahams, where I am deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many talented and skilled individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, looking at the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on the future of the industry following this pandemic. In episode nine of Raw Talent, we are joined by Alice Canning. Alice is a senior technical product developer who started her career at Amanda Thompson Couture before going on to navigate the fluctuating world of contemporary and luxury women's wear, including Oswald Helgerson, Mother of Pearl, Nicole Fari, Kalmar and Kepler, and Peter Pilotto. We discuss how the changing fortunes of brands impacts people's careers and how best practice within the industry might evolve following the pandemic to better support the skilled and passionate workforce operating behind the scenes to enable brands to deliver their vision to the market. Alice, it's lovely to see you. You too. Thank you for joining me. Yes, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm in Stockholm. It's a lovely day today. It's like finally summery, which is really nice. We've had like, it's been, I moved in March and it was minus one, two degrees, which was like a a mild temperature for their winter and I was like oh my gosh I'm not going to survive this um but now it's finally sunny sun, sunny and I can wear a dress which is great oh how lovely gosh that is cold for March minus one. Oh, I know and it was like snowing I think it was snowing in May like, oh wow yes goodness <laughs> and we should also start by saying by telling everyone that You'd taken a role at Acne and very sadly, Acne's found itself in a situation where it's had to make some radical uh, decisions in terms of consolidating in order to be able to stay alive. And it's let um, a considerable proportion of its workforce go. Is that right? That is right. So I moved here, yeah, at the beginning of March and Stockholm had... Um, Sweden had like five or six cases and you know I was putting it down like it's fine like I don't think anything's gonna any issue's gonna happen and then like two weeks in it was like you know Italy started happening and you know everything was happening in China and I was like oh god this is really gonna cause like a financial crisis I think we really need to you know think about what we're doing here and acne were just like oh it's fine it's fine I even spoke spoke to like my direct boss and she was like, oh no, you'll be fine for the first six months. We're definitely going to be in business. We've got like a, you know, a strong team and funding and we've got like a well-rounded business and blah, blah, blah. Um, And then like five weeks in from starting, they made the first round of redundancies, which was everyone who was on um, like freelance or probationable um, contracts. So that included me because my probation was six months. Um, 
so yeah I sadly had to leave there and I just moved my whole family so I moved my partner and my baby my 18 month old baby to Stockholm so that was like a big I don't know a big crisis that happened to me I know that it happens to it's happened to everyone and I know that like the whole world is coming to pieces but yeah that was really hard to deal with yeah um, sure but now we're living in Stockholm and I absolutely love it and I'm so glad that we're here because we never went into lockdown um so we've had the benefits of being able to go to cafes and restaurants and bars and parks and enjoy our time outside instead of being you know, locked up indoors. So. That's amazing. Silver lining. <laughs> yeah, silver lining, absolutely. Because, of course, the population density is is not comparable to the UK and it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. the, the head epidemiologist, Anders, is, like, basically advising the government here and telling them, you know, how to deal with the, the pandemic instead of the actual politicians deciding how to manage it which is I think is a really good way of doing it because obviously politicians don't have any clue about pandemics whereas no. that's his role that's you know he is head of that department so he he probably knows a lot more than someone like Boris Johnson but I don't know I'm making big sweeping statements here I have no idea he's he's taken a big risk leaving everything open um he believes in herd immunity and he thinks that um We'll achieve that by the end of June, so we'll see. Um, we'll about. see. I think it's similar here, actually. I think the government here have put together a SAGE, SAGE committee and it's exactly the same thing where the advice isn't actually, it's not the politicians making the decisions, they're being advised. Right. And so they're taking decisions based on the advice they're being given. So I think it's it's pretty similar. And, you know, you're going to have varying opinions about what you should and shouldn't do and all the rest of it but um yeah there's everybody's navigating the unknown so it's uh, it's a bit of kind of feeling your way regardless of whether you're a medical expert or not because they don't they're, they're learning about the virus the whole time so it's uh, it's uncharted territory isn't it for every country yeah, and I, when i've been speaking to people here they've all just said classic sweden like they're always trying to do something differently <laughs> always one that does something differently like in the war and stuff like that so I think I don't know I don't know whether he did it because it was like a risk or whether I don't know I don't know time will tell we'll see how it all washes up in the end let's start by sharing how we met let's tell everybody um when we think that was so you were thinking we were talking about this before you're thinking 2018 yes summer 2018 when I was working at Kalmar which is a resort swimwear brand set up by a woman who is very interesting she's she does she's like a flamenco professional flamenco dancer and wow. she's a healer and she part of the company is like a healing process and she brought out these kind of um essential oils and candles and stuff so she's kind of it's mm. kind of like a a holistic brand of like healing holistic and healing, healing resort wear yeah. brands yeah which was amazing. I really like experience yeah. it and like learning about like the development of like essential oils and things like that. I'd never known anything about that. So that was really great. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Really interesting people come over. She did like talks and she had like healers come and 
help meditate with the staff and things like that. It was really great. How amazing. Great yeah. experience. Yeah, no, it was really good. Lovely. What inspired you to um, get into the fashion industry? Let's go back to the beginning. Tell everyone where you grew up and kind of what got you started on the path of fashion. So I grew up in London to my mum, who is a New Zealander, but is basically British now because she's lived here for so long or there. Um, And my dad lives in New Zealand, who is Maori. So I'm like mixed heritage. Wow. Did you say your mum was Indian? No, no, English. But she's English, Indian. sorry, I misheard that. So Maori and English. How did they meet? That, well, my mum was brought up in New Zealand. She is a New Zealander. Right. She, so, like, her dad's English and she speaks very proper English. And so, yeah, <laughs> I say she's English more so than she is a New Zealander. But, yeah, she was spent most of her life in New Zealand. Um, and she met my dad at her summer house, was next door to my dad's farm. And they spent like every summer together when they were like 11 to when they were about 18. Yeah, that's a whole other story. And then my dad married somebody else and my mom was jealous. It was a lot. It was, I've got quite a big extended family, which I absolutely love. And we all get on and it's great. Amazing. Um, I don't it for the world, but yeah, that's a, that's a a big long story. Yeah. (laughs) Be another podcast. Be another podcast. So what got you started in the fashion industry? So I was born in London and my auntie is really creative. She is an illustrator and a costume designer and lots of other things. And she kind of taught me to sew when I was about seven years old and I was extremely passionate about it. And I used to go to her holiday house in Normandy like every summer and she'd teach me to sew we'd have these big sewing events and I'd do like lots of collections it was really cute um so that initially and then she bought me a sewing machine when I was nine and then I was like that was it I was like making clothes all the time and then I don't know I think my from starting secondary school I was always creative I was always in the art department I was always in the DT department but we didn't have a textiles department so I think I kind of, I got redirected by going to school. I went to like a quite a creative school. So it was a performing arts school <clears throat> in Marlborough. And so I did lots of art and dance and DT and art and textiles and that kind of thing. So I think I got kind of sidetracked from making clothes to doing art. And so then I did like a foundation at Chelsea School of Art, which I absolutely hated. I thought it was such a waste of time. We had like, a tiny desk and no equipment and nobody was teaching us it was like 500 students in one class and I just was like I just felt so overwhelmed I was like I'm not ready because I came from quite a small school and it was very tough and they it was a lot about teaching and like when I went to foundation I was like oh my goodness this is nothing like school this is I'm not learning anything here it was all about like self-development and like learning on your own and teaching on your own I was like no 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 this is not for me so then I was like, okay, right, I'm going to go on a gap year because everyone on gap years. And so I went to New Zealand for like 12 months and I just like worked with my dad shearing because he's a shearer. And then I came back to London and I was like, maybe I should try and do something like to do with making clothes. So I first went and did, worked at um, a costume designer's in Deptford. The woman was absolutely crazy. It was. You thinking of Amanda Thompson? No, this was 
the costume designer for that. Oh, was really? It? Yeah, they're really, they're famous. They did like... Um, Angels? No. They did all the costumes for like Festival of Glastonbury and they take their like little costume van to all the festivals around London and then people oh, wow. like, the higher the costumes, it was great. Nice. Like, well, this is amazing. I love this. So then I was like, okay, right, I need to actually learn about how to make those. Yeah. And then I did a tailoring course in Newham, which was like in partnership with Savile Row. And that was amazing. I love that. Learn how to do, make jackets and trousers and like hand sew. And yeah, it was really bespoke way of making. And I was like, actually, I don't fit in this tailoring world. I'm like a girl and it's, the tailoring world is very like white male dominated. Definitely. And so I was like, I don't want to be the part of this. This is not me at all. I need to work with women. I love women. Oh. I, went women's, um, women's <laughs> I went to an all-girls school. So I was like, yeah, my whole life yeah. was by women. So then I started at Amanda Thompson Couture. Okay. And it was me, her, and her couturist. And then she had, like, one of a girl who was, like, part-time. And we just made, like, bespoke clothes. So it would take about six... I would say six fittings to like finally finish a garment. So we'd have got like, we'd have clients for up to like six months. Most of them were wedding dresses or like red carpet gowns. And that was amazing. She taught me so much, but she wasn't classically trained. She kind of taught herself, which was good. But I feel like, I think at that time I really needed to have the classical training of like how to make garments. Yeah. But she was incredible. She was just, I think she was one of the biggest inspirations of why I'm still here. And I remember saying to her, she was like, Alice, you're going to go so far. You're going to do so well. She's like, if you ever win awards, you have to tell, like, you know, say thank you to me. And I was like, 100%. So shout out to Amanda Thompson. She was amazing. And she still has a spot. It's not in Bermsey anymore. It's in Ladbroke Grove. And I've spoken to her recently. And she's now not doing bespoke gowns anymore it's more to do with ready, ready to wear so she does like capsule collections nice if anyone's in Labrick Grove head to Amanda Thompson <laughs> um, so yeah that's kind of why I'm here that was the beginning of your journey that kind yeah. of how you yeah. got started yeah. so not coming down a traditional route not going to university no. and studying like a three-year course interesting very interesting and you were a few years working for Amanda. Um, as your career then unfolded, would you say that you've actively guided the trajectory or did you find yourself more reacting to opportunities in the market? Yeah, this is a really interesting question and I was speaking to um, my partner last night about it. I think going back to my kind of upbringing, I was brought up by a single mum. My dad lived in New Zealand and she... She just worked her ass off. She had loads of jobs. She worked part. She worked full time and did a degree and had me as a child. So she was always working so much. And then she had lodgers. So she'd come home from a day of work and then uni, and then she'd come home and she'd cook dinner for the lodgers that were staying in our house. Wow. And, and then she'd wake up in the morning and she'd make, make breakfast for them and she would like entertain them and make sure that they were happy and you know tell she's them. She's a little rough mummy, isn't she? Like. <laughs> my mum was like 150 miles an hour at all times yeah and so she was always she's kind of instilled in me that I need to always have a job and always 
be employed and always just if you've got a job if someone's offering you a job just take it work hard work hard work hard work hard never have not have a job and so that's kind of I think that was really great and it's installed like a really good work work ethic in me but I think it's also had a slight negative impact on like the direction of my career because I've always taken jobs really quickly without having to think about whether that job is actually right for me you've reacted to the market totally and yeah. like I knew that there wasn't that many jobs and I was really lucky that you know been offered a job literally the day after I had an interview they were like we want you we want you to hire you right now and I was always like yeah I'm gonna take it yeah yeah which is always a bad sign if someone needs to hire you tomorrow it means that their company is not running sufficiently so they need someone urgently yeah but I was young and I was just like, oh my gosh, I've got a job. This is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that happened quite a few times. But now, like, with Angus in my ear, he's always like, you need to make sure that when you're applying for jobs, you're applying for the right one. The one that, like, means, you know, has similar morals to you, has similar ethics to you, has, you know, you've really kind of, you found out a lot about the role and the people that you're working with and the, the the company that you're working for and it all resonates so he's basically yeah, playing exactly. it resonate yeah that's good advice isn't it no it is and he's been absolutely incredible with giving oh. advice so like that's why when I got this job at Acne which was my dream job I was like thank you so much this is amazing like I finally oh. got to a place where I'm working at my dream job and then it doesn't crumble to pieces because of corona Oh, okay. life goes on. <laughs> life goes on. Life goes on. Yeah. And you know, you've got a, a big career ahead of you. So if it's not now, it's going to come back in the future, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. What have been the major learnings from your experience, apart from the things that we've touched on? If we talk about the actual skill side of things, as your career has evolved, you class yourself as a um, senior technical product developer let's explain what that means what does the word technical mean within product development so in that role i would say the predominant skill that you need would be to understand the construction of garments and the best way to construct that garment and that can be both financially making sure that that garment is made as cheaply as it can be with you know working with design, making sure there's not too many processes, too many seams, using too much fabric. So you've got a technical and a kind of business mind. And then also, I think, you know, being able to problem solve in terms of construction and making garments and being able to like liaise with the designers to be like, no, that's not going to work within our price point. Or yes, you could try this or you could try that. Or like the knowledge of knowing different options of way of ways to make garments, basically. Very good. And does that include sort of knowledge of which factories are going to be able to produce the best garment for what you want to achieve? Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, and then we've, I've, with every company that I've worked for, we've had different companies for different styles. And most of the time it's, you know, complicated dresses and then you've got tailoring factories and then you've got accessories factories and then you might have someone for special one-off pieces depending on the company that you work for. With like the bigger, more intricate pieces, I always try and keep to UK suppliers just because you can kind of 
work with them a little bit more easier. And I know like in the Far East, it is also quite good there, but the whole shipments and... Yeah, it's different when the factory's down the road though, isn't it? And you can go there. (laughs) That makes a difference. What makes you great at what you do? What do you think are the sort of top three things that you're really good at? Oh gosh, I used to hate this question. It's an interesting one because it's interesting to hear from you what you think your skills, your top skills. Um, Personally, I think I'm obviously the easiest one is to say I'm organized, but I think the the best thing about what I do is like I'm I'm organized, but I'm also able to see an issue that's happening now and foreseeing what that might, how that might affect. In future, like for example, maybe yeah, how it will evolve, how it will go yeah. on. I'm really good at like foreseeing that kind of thing and making sure that my actions now are going to, you know, everything. Always a problem further down the line. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I'm really good at like maintaining relationships both within the companies that I work with and creating like a team environment. Like that's like my number one skill set in terms of what I want from a company and what's, what I want to be as a manager and what I want to be as a teammate. And I think working together as a team, creating something as a team, nothing is done by one person. Everyone has to, really? everyone has to be a part of what you're making. And I think yeah. I'm really good at that. Like I'll work with, I'm good at keeping like the design team together with the pattern cutters and the machinists. And I'm really good at liaising with all the different teams. And I think, that's really important both for me and also the, you know, the company that I work for. So yeah, organization, team work ethic and what else would I say? Um, managing the process. So pre Yeah. 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 Very about what's what I'm good at. I don't know. I should get better <laughs> at it. No, I think they're great answers. And I think, you know, that technical understanding that is behind everything you do is vital because that's really where your your main skills lie in being able to troubleshoot and it's often about troubleshooting as well as planning isn't it this job totally product development is constantly just being able to foresee problems that are going to arise yeah Yeah. to anticipate the um the execution process and how it may evolve so that you can guide it to the best of your ability i think is is key really and how would you describe your management style if you're managing people below you how do you like to manage i do not like micromanaging so i would like to everyone says that i think that's that's so interesting out of all the people that have been on the podcast series everybody has said that (laughs) really i love that that's the first thing you said as well yeah Um, just because i've I've had that experience myself It just makes you not want to work. Yeah, it undermines you, doesn't it, completely? You just want to walk out the door. (laughs) Can make mistakes. It's not bad mistakes. We're allowed to, you know, that's that's the best way to learn. So I think as a manager and, like, you know, managing other people's workload, I think the most important thing is to hand over a task and give them the responsibility to, you know, make that task happen and whether they make a mistake on the way that's fine they they shouldn't be afraid to talk to me and make a mistake and I think that's the best way for somebody to grow and I also think that's the best way you know to work as a team with people below you and I also don't particularly like the hierarchical bitchy 
I'm I'm older than you. I'm you know more senior than you. I know more than you. You don't know anything. Like everyone comes from all, all different walks of life, and they've had all different experiences in their lives. And so, yeah. just because you're more senior and you've had more you've had more years working in the industry, doesn't mean you know more than somebody else. And That's so, right. and what I've really experienced here, I don't know whether it's the company in Acne, but <clears throat> I didn't feel like there was that bitchy, catty, we're all working against each other, I'm trying to grow, like, by using you and blah, blah, blah. Like, there was none of that. And I was like, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's the British, it's a British trait, or maybe it's a company trait. I don't know, maybe it's just the experiences that I've had. I've always, there's always been somebody there trying to get you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Whereas it should all just be everybody working together and it should be unified. But perhaps that's also something that's indicative of company culture and how businesses are led from the top. Maybe that has an impact as well. No, definitely. And maybe it's just because, you know, I wasn't, you know, the CEO of Acne. Like maybe there's the bit G bit much higher up. I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> and how do you manage up how do you how do you manage the expectations of the management team above you in terms of how you execute the vision that you're there to um carry out I think the most important thing is honesty and making sure that you know exactly what you're able to do so like I know in a day I can do 25 cat packs and if somebody's asking me to do 35 tech packs and manage the atelier and do this I know that I can't personally do that so I think being able to be honest and say right I'm sorry I can only do 25 tech packs today but tomorrow I'll do the rest yeah so I think managing being able to manage your own workload and know exactly what is possible for yourself and telling that to your managers or people above you then I think that that's really, I think that's so important because then you just get, over, like I used to, oh, when I was younger, I'd just be like, yeah, I can do everything, give everything to me. <laughs> and I would stay there until midnight and I would be still there plodding along and it was just like, I'm not doing that again, never again. No. Like, you learned that wasn't clever. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to prove it to them, I'm going to do it. I was so, I was so like, yeah. Oh, I think you're certainly not alone. I've had I've had loads of those stories over the years, and it is about you know you're a human being at the end of the day. You've only got a certain amount of time. We're about to be joined by my cat. Yeah, you're going to see a cat head pop up, and I think <laughs> yeah, people. I think you do realise that you you just burn yourself out if you're working till midnight every night. It's not a good thing to be doing. <laughs> for sure what are you gone I just think that I don't know there needs to be this is a bigger topic but I think there needs to be a reform in the expectations of people that work in the fashion industry um yeah not to where people give an inch not to take a mile yeah exactly I know we I'm very aware of that I've seen a lot of this over the years where because it is it's pressurized and sometimes businesses are not run or don't necessarily have the skills in-house that they probably need in certain areas um they end up just trying to get everybody to do everything and I hope we're coming out the other side of that kind of thought process 
me too. I would love to see that go because I think that's where the industry burns people out and burns people, and you don't want to see that really. So, yeah, but that's the bigger topic, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, be there all day with that one. What are your observations on the most effective way to be influential? Influential to your team Anyone. members? It could be your team, it could be the process, it could be the business. Oh gosh, so many things. Um, yeah. For me personally, I think I would say just kindness and honesty and understanding. And I think, it, yeah, just being kind within a workforce, I think is so important. Understanding that everyone has their own lives, everyone has yeah. children or families or things going on at home or illnesses and stuff and I think the fashion industry isn't kind and I think people need to learn to be kind in the industry like I remember I had a manager once who shouted at me because I was leaving five minutes early I was the fit was just about to finish and she was like you are not allowed to leave I was like I have a child she needs to be picked up from nursery I can't leave her there otherwise I'll be fined and also my She's a child. She's 18, you know, whatever she was, a year old. And she just didn't understand. And I just think, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's not reasonable. That's, I don't know. I don't know whether it's, oh, yeah, I don't know. I can't say because I think I've had experiences that have led to so many negative thoughts about the industry. And I don't think everyone has had those experiences. But I definitely have, like, and also, like, oh, gosh, another thing I remember somebody went, because I, I suffer from endometriosis, which is, like, um, yeah, I don't know if you need to explain, but, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, like, an illness which means that your periods are really painful and difficult, and I've ended up being hospitalised many times for it. And we had a new head designer come into the company, and the other product developer thought that she was much better than me and she was trying to fight to be like the new head of product and so she went to the new designer and said that Alice couldn't do her job because she was ill oh and I was like and then the head designer the head designer came up to me and was like I just want to let you know that this person has said this to you and she's like trying to go behind your back and like she used to say things to me at work like oh, Alice, are you feeling okay? Or, oh, Alice, you look a bit ill today and things like that. And I would always be like, what? You're, what are you saying? It was so bizarre. And so going back to the whole kindness point, I just think the bitchiness and the cattiness of even just normal day life, I just think is so unnecessary. That Like the negative energy that people carry around is just unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. Just let go. Try and have a more happy, positive life. And maybe good things will come to you. Like I've, yeah. Good advice because I think yeah. seeking to undermine other people for self-gain is probably the worst thing you can do. It, it never succeeds. So anybody that chooses to um, take that approach, I think they learn the hard way that that doesn't actually work. hope so. hope so. Well, I've always thought, and you know you do you do often see that those individuals in one way or another end up getting sign like sidelined somewhere so you know what you give out you get back and those things do come back to haunt people in one way or another for sure yeah and so I think that's for me in my experience and what I've experienced I think 
kindness is such an important thing yeah what i would never want to do that to anybody i would never that's not you'd hope most people wouldn't because you know we're here to we're here to lift one another up we're not here to tear one another down so and it's important that we will work together and celebrate one another's greatness and not try to take advantage of one another's weaknesses. So yeah, I think it's, I think there's a good words. Um, what was your best experience? Oh, that's a hard one. Do you know what? I was, I also was reading your questions last night and I was like, oh God, that's a really hard question because. What was, you know, what, I look back, what go on, say it again. What really inspired you, you know, what would be some, what would be, if you think of your best experiences, what would have been something that was pivotal in your career? I definitely think Amanda Thompson, just because she really, she really grew my passion for fashion. That sounds really cringe, passion for fashion. Okay. <laughs> but she really like incubated, I don't know what the word is, but just kind of, she was the catalyst for me to work in the fashion industry and work with garments. And I really, she really taught me how to appreciate beautiful garments and how, you know, a bespoke piece is so much more than just like picking up a dress on a rail, making it look nice on you and like taking it home. Like a bespoke piece, you know, takes time, it takes energy, it takes thought, it takes fittings, it takes amendments. It's just like, it's like a body of art. And I just really, that I think was really important and vital in terms of a good experience and understanding, you know, what fashion really is and what I think it needs to be you know people need to go into the shops and be like wow you know this is someone's labor of love you know somebody has sat there at a desk thought about some creative ideas put them down on a piece of paper evolved them discussed it with other people it was like and then they've kind of spoken to the factory somebody's made them with their hands which my boyfriend is always very surprised by (laughs) no they're not machines miss miraculously got made by a machine yeah he literally does i'm like no (laughs) blood sweat and tears has gone into that and that's why this throwaway culture for fashion is just so detrimental and obviously i'm guilty of that as well you know there's cheap shops where you can go in and buy things cheaply but of course yeah well some of those cheap shops are evolving so you know look at what they're doing it's amazing yeah no it's true and they are making you know they are a voice for changes for other people as well absolutely they really are they really do lead the way in their sector to show what's possible we you know our offices up until last month were in Hammersmith and we've let them go as a result of um the Covid situation but um in Hammersmith H&M opened a concept store and I send everybody, everyone that comes to see us, I send there because you'd never believe that this amazing concept store exists in Hammersmith and it's opposite M&S. And what is the concept store? Is it for... It's an H&M concept store. So basically it's like, um, so we're used to their stores kind of being a bit jumble saley, overstocked, a nightmare search, shopping, long queues, etc. This is like a cross between anthropology and Zara, it is absolutely stunning. It's the most beautiful shop bit, concrete everywhere, complete lifestyle, merchandised as a, as a lifestyle concept, two huge floors, beautiful product everywhere. Um, not a, a bit like their cores and arcade stores, a bit more. Yeah, it's much more like that. And just really beautifully done. 
with brand ambassadors instead of disinterested sales associates that aren't being paid enough. They've actually got brand ambassadors. Um, if there's a queue, the, the team are straight there and they they jump on it immediately. So they they got rid of all the queuing. There's self checkouts. It's really really good. So and you know lots of um, ethically produced product. So it goes to show what's possible. Um, nice. Certainly heading in a new direction, which is really nice to see. And everybody that goes to the store goes, "Wow, that's incredible." <laughs> I need to go when I'm next. Yeah, when you're next. Because we have lots of other stores like that. Yeah, well, they've only got two. There's only two of these. There's one in Stockholm and there's one in um, Hammersmith. Really? Actually, I should go to Stockholm. I'm so used to this. Yeah, to Stockholm. Yeah. Yes, you're there. You can go and check that one out. So I'm not going to ask your worst experience because I think we covered it a minute ago. I'm going to go on to... um, what you think are the most important personality traits for the work that you do? Um, that's a good one, because I was actually speaking to an intern of mine the other day about what I think she, because she really wants to be in design, but has kind of ended up in product development, which she likes, but she's also like, is it for me? And I was discussing with her, I think the main important trait, I think for product development, you definitely need to have, very good attention to detail you need to be able to see a garment from afar and see that the shoulder isn't fitting or you know there's something's been the seam's been stretched or the hem hasn't been finished correctly or you need to be on the ball with like how the garment looks whether it's finished correctly whether it's been created correctly like I can look at a garment when it's on a on a person I can say that you know it's not fitting correctly or the seams are not in the right place or the pattern looks a bit off or, you know, the shoulders aren't set properly. So I think attention to detail, definitely. I think also being extremely organised and being able to follow and manage, you know, 60 plus different styles per season from initial sketch to production. Like you have to be able to know exactly which you know, what happens when when something is needed and when something isn't needed. And, like, I think you need to have a, a business mind as well to be able to negotiate good prices for the garments and work well with factories um, because that is a big part of the role as well, um, you know, Absolutely. managing the factories and the expectations of the factories and also the expectations of the designers and the business side of the um, team. So I think, yeah, I would say those are the three main main attributes obviously you know everyone has different ways of approaching the role but I think for me personally that has been the most important and I have really good attention to detail like excellent no I think that's that's all really valid and I was going to go on and ask who was your most inspiring manager and who was your least but I think we've answered those questions earlier on actually yeah yeah lots of different runs I've had so many, yeah. so many different walks of life and I think they all contributed positive and negative things to me and I've been able to grow from them um you know about the things that I don't want and things I do want what have those learnings been what does that look like for you it's made me reflect on how important it is to work in a team and I know I've said this but like I think with some of the managers that I've worked for they've all kind of been so proud that they're in a senior position that they've always tried to inflict like their ego onto onto me and I'm 
as a manager, I would never want to do that. Like, it's not about egos. And there's so many egos in the fashion industry. I see yeah. that such a negative <laughs> light of the industry. But, yeah. But do you think humour goes a long way to deflecting some of this? Oh, totally. Totally. Because I always use that as a technique because you deal with all sorts of different people. And I always find that if you can make people laugh, whoever they are, it goes a long way to kind of just... And it also goes human as well. You have yeah. emotions. You're really able to laugh and have fun. Exactly. Even if you're really strict. I think it is important to be really strict as well and like yeah. what exactly you want and what you don't want. And so mm-hmm. they know the boundaries on which they can push you you know yeah of course absolutely especially when you're dealing with factories and suppliers oh god God. (laughs) yeah i've had lots of shouting shouting matches with factories and suppliers i'm i'm sorry i know it's just (sighs) tight deadlines fashion is constantly tight deadlines and Uh, like the creativity within having creativity within deadlines just does not work if you have uh, designers who are good at being able to say, right, that's finished, I don't want to change it, that's fantastic. But if you have designers, which is probably most designers, there's always something that wants, they want to change or alter, blah, blah, which means that that one garment that you've got is now incorrect. So you have to go through that same process again of making a sketch, making a sample, making a pattern, give it to the machinist, give it to the factory, getting it back, getting the price, blah, blah, blah. and you do all that work for that one garment that is the now obsolete, and it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, going back it comes back to this conversation, doesn't it? About yeah. that the industry needs to really change, doesn't it? Mm, no, definitely. Have really. you? Here's a question for you: talking of talking of the product development and how laborious it can be, especially when maybe the garment gets cancelled and doesn't even get bought. Mm. What's your take on three um, D um, sampling? Because that's something that's starting to really come through now. And there's some great 3D tech out there like Clow where um, you can literally do it all virtually. What are your thoughts about that? I think it's fantastic. I saw my friend is an um, accessory designer, Paul Smith, and he keeps posting all these videos of how he's, like, he's doing all the accessories on this. I don't actually know what the program's called, but they're like 3D and everything's 3D so you can spin it around and see it all yeah. actually make the sample which is I think fantastic but I don't know whether the time is shorter like if it still takes the same amount of time from initial sketch to like having a first sample whether that's virtual or not then I don't know whether it's going to be beneficial but if it's obviously if it's 100% if it's I think it's in timelines yeah I mean if it's shorter then 100% I'm so for it I think it'd be great I don't know with designers, because when I worked with Peter Pilotto, they were so much about the 3D garment. They worked less with sketches and they had so much faith in their pattern cutters that they would really, they didn't really like to see the garment until it was 3D, like, right. like a finished right. garment. In a similar fabric, yeah. they could really vision, envision what that garment is trying to say in the story and blah, blah, blah. Sure. So I think, depending on the designer, I think with accessories, maybe it's slightly easier. But, like, if you're doing, like, big ball gowns, you kind of need to feel the fabric, you need to see the flow, you need to see how it looks on a model, you need to kind of see the movement of the real-life thing more so than you would need to see on, like, jewellery or things like that. So I, it, I think it probably depends on 
the on garment and what you're trying to working do. on. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, T-shirts, yeah, it's easy. Easy, yeah. Depends what it is. Depends how yeah. cool it is. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm for it. I'm a garment. It's it's a different, slightly different entity, isn't it? Different mm-hmm. landscape that you're dealing with. Yeah, okay. I'm all for technology in the industry. I think yeah. the same. Like it's such a old way of working in the industry, and I think it's very traditional still, really, isn't it? Really yeah. traditional. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think anything that there's a move it forward and modernise it, I am all for it. Excellent. How do you think the industry is going to look on the other side of this oh, pandemic? What's your thought? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I had to write, I had to, actually had to write lots of bullet points. Reel off loads of things. Personally, <laughs> obviously, as I was saying before, you know, I think the industry needs to slow down and we need to appreciate the beauty and the creativity of the clothes that you wear. And I know for some people it's just a jeans and a t-shirt and, you know, they just put it on, they wear the same thing every day and that's totally fine. I have nothing against that. I just think we need to appreciate that somebody's taking the time to build that garment, create that garment, make the garment. You know, lots of big teams have been involved in making that garment and we really need to appreciate it. And there are people that are working in terrible 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 situations with no money like underpaid blah 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 and I think that that's not fair and there's been so many years of this happening of like factories falling down and factories fires and you know health and safety tests not being properly enforced and people working under poor conditions that this is not we are so far from that now in this modern world we're in 2020 and it still is happening it's just shocking so I think so all of the factory side of things, you'd like to see that change going forward? No, for sure. And I think the most important thing is that consumers' behaviour needs to change and like our, the way that we think needs to change. So I think like in terms of like head offices, I think we need to make smaller collections. I think there needs to be less waste. And um, I was reading this documentary about... Uh, on business of fashion about rewiring the fashion industry and creating yes. like two seasons per year yes. and there's all the collections that means there's less you know options for cancellations less waste less fabric waste less time wasted less people wasted less travel waste you know co2 emissions um i also think that the fashion show i know that was it gucci they're now was it gucci oh, no, i don't want to get this wrong I think decided only yeah two seasons, which I think is amazing. Um, I know that like you know bigger brands have a bigger voice, and so you know that will influence influence the smaller brands. Yeah, um, which would also like reduce the pressure on making lots of collections and making loads of clothes. Like if the big brands aren't doing it, then you know everyone else doesn't have to do it. Yeah, totally. Honorable that they've decided to do that, and like you know, come out and say it so that it's like a leading course. Yeah. I also think that, you know, now that we've been working from home and everything's been virtual, we can also start doing virtual showrooms to reduce, you know, air travel and reduce people's time and be able to like contact a wider group of people. You know, not everyone can go to Paris, Milan, London, New York, you know, maybe there'll be other countries that can in- increase their, you know, their fashion industry. I know there's a big industry in um, Australia, so maybe, you know, maybe 
that will give a platform for other diff- other countries to kind of be in the forefront of the fashion sh- fashion yeah, industry. it's true. Um, I also think, oh yeah, this is a big one. I think the guy. I don't know whether this will be as a as something new for as because of Corona, but I definitely think we need to kind of drop garments into store in the correct season, not selling, you know, winter clothes in July. You know, you yeah, have to sell winter clothes from August to February or March. And yeah. then in March they go into reductions. Whereas like now we're having sales left, right and centre. We've got Black Friday, we've got all these stupid sales just to encourage people to buy. And I think that that needs to stop. People yeah. are going to have less income now, that, now because of this and people are going to be more conscious of what they're buying because you know job security isn't the same people are worried you know it's gonna we're gonna be in a financial crisis for I don't know a couple of years and that will have a domino effect on so many different things and you know people will be nervous and they won't be wanting to spend lots of money on clothes that they probably would have done before because they knew that they were going to have a job I also think that the environment like actually working in the industry will be completely different because now there's the option of working from home. Everyone was forced to work from home and I've always been told my whole career, you'll never be able to work from home, you'll never be able to have flexible hours, you'll never be able to do this, you need to be in the office working with the product. And so now being able, like now everyone having to work from home, it means that that isn't true. You've seen that the industry has carried on even though we've been going through a pandemic. I think... That's really important. I think that's going to be a big, big change in the industry. Yeah, I think so too. I think people are going to be more open to, you know, flexible hours and working from home, which I think is really good for, you know, working families, people who have, you know, difficult home lives or difficult families or, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, there's so many things that people have outside of work, which is so important. And I think now with this working from home, this will really change that. Yes, I agree. Absolutely, absolutely. I also think that, I think, I don't know, I think that the, the bigger, more luxury brands like the Gucci's, the Louis Vuitton's, the whatever, will be doing well because the rich are going to obviously stay rich. And, you know, the people who are aspirational buyers, who would be buying the Acne's and, the, you know, the mid-luxury level brands, they're now you know, a bit more cautious and a bit more worried about finance that maybe, you know, the middle brands won't be, won't survive past the pandemic and maybe there'll be some new brands that are created because of that, you know, and I think people's idea of sustainability and rights and all that kind of thing is going to change and especially now in this pandemic and also this time of Black Lives Matter and so many all lives matter and all this kind of change that we're going through in the world, I think that that's going to be a huge, huge, huge effect on the industry. And if it's not, I think there will be people, yeah, fighting for that change. change. All of this is a catalyst for change, isn't it? Um, And I know I saw this morning on LinkedIn that Victoria Beckham have like come out and said that they're going to rework on, you know, how they're going to basically employ more well-rounded accurate representation of the of the workforce yeah and stuff like that which is amazing I don't know whether they're actually going to do it but it's great that they actually have you know saying 
that they they are wanting to change and they accept that they are in they are not innocent. So I think the more the more this happens, I think the more the industry is going to change. And I think yeah, which would be it's great. time for it's time for people that work in the industry to really fight for their rights and fight for what they are you know what they want and what they deserve in their career. Definitely, absolutely. And if you can share one or two insights that will inspire others, what would those be? Ooh. Do you know what? The best thing I love about this job is working with the creative people in the industry. And I think being able to bounce ideas off designers, off people from different walks of life, I think is just incredible. And I've been so lucky to experience so many different designers and creatives that I'm it kind of helped inform me in a, a way that I would never have thought I would have experienced so it's um, the idea sharing yeah and it's just it's it's fantastic and when it works it really does work and working with a strong team that all trying to fight for the same thing and believe in the same thing and they're kind of it's just a fantastic experience and I really, really have loved it. And I've worked with so many great designers and they taught me so much because I personally, before any of this started, because I, did, I didn't mention it, but I did go back to uni when I was a bit older. I started when I was 24 and I finished when I was 28 and I did it part-time while I was working. And I always thought, right, I'm going to be a designer. I'm going to go to, back to uni and do a degree to be a designer because I really want to be a designer. And I just thought when I was doing that degree, I just thought I'm not a designer. I don't have that. Seeing the people that are creative and like having that passion and drive to constantly create something, constantly, constantly and they have like having yeah. all those ideas. It's in your blood, isn't it, to do that? It's not in my blood. No. <laughs> I think it was, but it's not. And just working, I think for me, that was just, if there are people out there who who think they're designers, but they're not sure and da-da-da, like, there's still a place for you. Like, for me, I I still feel creatively... Involved, because involved. you're in development yeah. and you're bringing the vision to life, basically. So it's mm-hmm. the next best thing. Completely, completely. Yeah. Right. So if you're, if you're conscious that you're not going to be creative, definitely this role is for you. Um, yeah. You still have that option. Yeah, advice. That will give you the ability to have a voice, then 100%. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And my last question is this. If you could work for any brand, which could be your own, by the way, who would that be? Who would be your dream brand? And name three people. can be anybody in the world. could be famous people. can be absolutely anyone that you'd want in your team. And why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, well, my dream job was acne, so I got my dream job. <laughs> got it briefly. Um, I got it briefly. <laughs> ripped away. Um, yes. So now, I think, personally, I think for me, what drives me the most at the moment is creating change and making sure that people don't have the experience, that I, people don't have the negative experiences that I had. Like, so yeah. I would want to make a change and man I would like to create something that enables people to have those positive experiences. Positive experiences. Whether that I don't know what that is exactly in terms of company, but that is what I would love. Is there a brand that springs to mind? So you've got acne that they were your dream well, brand. It was Reformation. Okay, so let's say Reformation. So say that's your dream brand. Who'd yeah. be the three people, absolutely anyone in the world that you'd love to have come work with you? 
gosh, three people. That is so difficult. Um, Who do you admire? I would say, do they have to work in product development? No, it can be anybody, absolutely anyone from any walk of life, famous, not famous people. Okay, so this is a really random story. Angus is, um, he is a musician and he has a band called To Another. And he, somebody contacted him um, and was like, I really love your brand. Please send me a vinyl, blah, blah, blah. And then he like looked at her profile and she's like, um, her name's Emma. She's fantastic. I mean, she is kind of fighting for the sustainability side of um, the fashion industry. And she's encouraging like circular um, fashion industry by like shopping in secondhand stores and that kind of thing. And she is a big voice. Yeah, so her name is Emma and she contacted um, my boyfriend to social media saying that she absolutely loves his music, etc., etc. And then he followed, went back and followed her. And she's like encouraging like a more circular society within the fashion industry. She's promoting like secondhand stores, and she's doing a lot of work with Oxfam. And she's just incredible in like the being the voice for sustainability. And she's also a black woman, so she's just has an insight of that kind of industry in so many different ways. So definitely her, she'd be fantastic. And she used okay. to work in marketing, so she's very like on it, forceful kind of thing. Fantastic. Um, second one would be Michelle Obama, just because she's an absolute, I just recently watched her mm-hmm. documentary Becoming and I like cried the whole way through. She's <laughs> the perfect, perfect woman, wife, employee, employer, everything about her. She's just, she's just a well-rounded woman and she speaks from the heart and she's a family person. And I just think she would bring such an incredible force behind anything that I would do. And the third person would be my mum, just because I know that she's had such a crazy, hard-working life. I would love for her to have an experience in a working working environment where she's valued and she's supported and she knows what she's doing and she doesn't feel vulnerable and she doesn't feel like she's going to lose her confidence because she's had so many crazy experiences that I think now she's just like I don't want to do it anymore so I'd love to like give her the opportunity to grow again even though she's like about to retire (laughs) yeah exactly well yeah I think a lot of people are going to carry on working past retirement so Oh, I know. She's so lucky she's retiring at 63. She's, she's got years ahead of her, though, because that's I not really old anymore, is it? Her new job is being the nanny to my child, which is great. Amazing. <laughs> that's a nice job. Yeah, no, she that's will love it. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely getting your thoughts today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I hope that everyone loves and has some not you know some knowledge to take away from it yeah totally we've, we've definitely given them a bit of a flavor as as to what product development is all about and what the industry can be about so yeah thank you it's been great it's not all, it's not all bad i promise <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of lots of bright spots yeah absolutely As Alice walks us through her career, we discover an unconventional path inspired by her childhood and the influence of her auntie who taught her how to sew. Alice sees the opportunities that came her way and honed her skills in garment construction and communication, supported by strong organisational abilities to drive the critical path from sketch to final sample. We learn the impact of too many design changes and how this can impede the overall critical path of the collection. 
Alice is also conscious of how people are treated and has experienced both the good and the bad, and she shares her thoughts and experiences on what does and doesn't work. As timing would have it, after recording this podcast, the CEO of Reformation, Alice's dream brand, was called out for being racist. One of their former employees wrote about her experience as the assistant store manager of the flagship in New York, explaining that during her time there, Reformation would hire white girls with less experience than her in positions above her. And yet when she was managing the store alone for a year, never once was she given the opportunity to step up into the store manager's position, even after asking. She also noted that when she was introduced to the founder, Yel Aflalu, in person, she didn't look her in the eye, but just gave her once over and turned her back. In another incident, Yel and the vice president posted a picture of themselves eating chicken wings with the caption, Happy Black History Month. Many other staff members, influencers and people of colour have since come out to highlight some of their experiences. Subsequently, Yale posted on the Reformation Instagram in response to this. She apologised and admitted that these statements are true. She acknowledges her shortcomings as a person and as a leader. She then personally donated 500,000 US dollars to three black charities. She has also stepped down as CEO of Reformation and her last day at the company was the week following the recording of this podcast. The vice president, who was in the fried chicken photo, has since been fired. Reformation then outlined how they are improving their representation of people of colour within their head office and in their campaigns. Suffice to say, they are no longer on Alice's dream brand list, and she is mortified to have bought a chunk of her summer wardrobe from the brand. Luckily, most of it was purchased secondhand on eBay. She says that if she were to answer the question again as to who is her dream brand to work for, in light of these events, her choice would be Stella McCartney as an inspiring pioneer of sustainability, which Alice feels is a key objective for the future of fashion. Her collections are strong, timeless and beautifully made and her mission and message to work in harmony with and protect the planet never ceases. We are all living through an important moment in time where a dramatic levelling up of society is taking place. The fashion industry in London is a multicultural melting pot of extraordinary homegrown and adopted talent from around the world. When you come to London, we are proud to put our arms around you and integrate you into our world. There is no place for discrimination in our society or our industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, join me next time for our final episode in the series when I will be speaking with Russell Hammond about brand growth and his experiences working with a wide range of luxury brands, including Self Portrait, Sophie Hume, Bishan Zhang, America Transu. And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.